Luke chapter 15 tonight, Luke chapter 15. You'll remember we began our thoughts in Luke 15 this morning. Unless you weren't here, then you won't remember it at all. So let me review. Um, this is this morning's message, and it's three pages. Tonight's message is two pages. What should you take from that? Not much. Not much. The series is called Our Seeking, Searching, Saving God. And we're looking at a parable that Jesus told in chapter 15 that was divided into three parts. There's three audiences that are there. There's the publicans and sinners, and they're getting a message of hope. There's the uh, Pharisees and the scribes. They're getting a message on love. And then there's the disciples. They're They're getting a message about their faith. Interesting how that all works out from what we've been talking about the last three weeks. Well, this morning we talked about the seeking shepherd, the seeking shepherd. But now tonight we want to speak on this subject. Well, that's the the whole series. We're talking about the searching woman, the searching woman, verse number 8 of chapter 15. Either what woman having, woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, did not light a candle and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she called her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. It almost seems to be repetitive. It almost seems to just rehash what Jesus said in the first stanza. But, but I'd offer you this thought. There's more going on than in the first stanza, and it's worth looking at. But it is the same basic theme. Uh, John MacArthur, I like to give people their credit when they do the work for me. And John MacArthur brings out an interesting pattern that I think is worthwhile for us to consider in what's going on here. You're a John MacArthur guy? I'm not anybody's guy. But if somebody brings up a point that that speaks to truth, I'm going to try to benefit from it, you know? And uh, he said there's four layers to what what we're doing this week and next week. There's four layers. First of all, you've got the narrative. In all three of these stanzas, in all three of these portions of the parable, you have the same basic narrative. Something valuable is lost. It's then restored, and there's rejoicing. Something valuable is lost, whether it be the sheep, the coin, or the sun. It's then restored, and there's rejoicing. That same narrative exists the whole way through. Okay, so that's predictable. But then you've got a second layer. There's ethical considerations, questions that certainly his audience would have asked, particularly the, the scribes and the Pharisees, but, but, there's, uh, but there's ethical considerations that even we would consider. Was the person in these stanzas right and how they approached and resolved the situation. Was the shepherd really right to leave 99 behind and go get the one? Was that the best course of action? Did this woman exert too much energy looking for one little coin? And then, was the father right in how he received his son back and restored him to full sonship even after all he had done? Now, I'll give you a little spoiler on that. Yes, all three were right. All three were right. It was within ethical boundaries. Then layer three is theological considerations. What do these stories teach us about God and his kingdom? And that's something that's worth digging into too. But for tonight, and and probably for the rest of this, we want to focus in on the fourth layer. 
And that's the Christological, Christological considerations. What does this teach us about Jesus himself? These, these three stories within this parable, what do we learn about Jesus himself? And so we'll seek to do that from this story of the searching woman. Father, would you help us now as we look to this passage? Lord, of the three, this one gives me the least to work with, but Lord, I want to make sure I do right by it and bring out everything you want us to hear tonight. Help me divide, rightly divide your word of truth. Speak to us in an unusual way tonight, we pray. We sure do need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to look at three basic truths that come out of this, this portion of the parable. Here's the first one. Now, make sure you listen all the way through, because if you don't, I'm going to sound kind of liberal. Okay? All right, so here's the first one. Jesus identifies with us all. Jesus identifies with us all. Stay with me. Verse 8. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? Now, you understand that the shepherd in the first stanza stands for Jesus. Well, certainly, certainly this woman doesn't stand for Jesus. Well, let's see. Let's see. Now, initially, he's speaking to these, the, this group of people, and amongst them are the Pharisees and the scribes. It would be kind of offensive for, them, for Jesus to reckon them to be like shepherds because they didn't think much of shepherds. Shepherds were pretty low on the society totem pole. And so to say, hey, what if you were a shepherd? Oh, well, I'll have you know I'd never be a shepherd. Did you know that shepherds were thought so lowly of that, that they didn't generally accept their testimony in court? They're a shepherd. What could they know? <laughs> you know? They were not thought highly of at all. But I'll tell you who's even lower on the society totem pole in Bible days. You know what that was? It was women. Now, let me be quick to say that was never God's intention. But that was society. Women were even lower on the, uh, on the totem pole there then we're shepherds. So if you're a woman shepherd, I guess you're in pretty bad shape. You know? Being identified as a shepherd is one thing, but was Jesus identified with a woman, as a with a woman? Now let me be clear, especially given all the foolishness that's going on in society. Jesus was not, nor is he, a woman. He has a very clear, defined Gender. Amen. He was and is and always will be male. A man. Now, I'm not trying to be unkind here, but you understand God is masculine. He's masculine. He's not feminine. There is no feminine God. Okay? So I'm not, I'm not going down that road. All right? I'm not going down that road. He was not a woman. He is not a woman. But does he identify with women? Yes. Remember, there is a difference between identifying with and identifying as. Big difference. Oh, Andy, I, I, can you find me one other passage in Scripture that would indicate that God would identify with women? I can indeed. Luke thirteen thirty four. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often, who's speaking here? Jesus. Now, how often would I, Jesus, have gathered thy children together as a hen 
Are agriculture majors? Hens male or female? Female. As a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and you would not. Hmm. How about that? What's the lesson from that? No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, if you're a child of God, Jesus, though he will not identify as you, he will absolutely identify with you. If you think that you've crossed some kind of line, that you've gone beyond God's grace, you're wrong. He's not given up on you. Now, I'm not saying there's not consequences for actions. But if somebody's repentant and they seek God's forgiveness, they'll have it. If they seek his fellowship, they'll have it. The best way I know to illustrate that truth, that whoever, wherever you are, Jesus may not identify as you, but he will identify with you, would be my children. Let's say that Asher, God forbid, but let's say that Asher, as he gets older, makes some terrible decisions and decides to go down the, the wrong way of life. Let's say that he, he gets involved in all kinds of addictive things and he's, he's, he's tore up from the floor up on all kinds of stuff and eventually he ends up stealing from his mom and I and he goes all down the wrong paths and everything else. And I get a phone call from the police station. We've got a young man here that we've just picked up. Are you his father? There is never a day, there's never a situation that I would ever answer that question with anything but a resounding yes. Yes, I am his father. And yes, he is my son. Why? Well, it's true biologically, but more than that, it's true in that I love him, right? If you're a child of God, there's nothing you can do that will change the fact that God identifies with you. So in a society in which women were thought to be a little bit less than men as far as their, their use and their, um, their authority and all of that, God never saw it that way. God never saw it that way. The most dear thing to Jesus in all of history is his church. What gender does he assign the church? Her. She. His bride. Who's the first people that knew that Jesus rose from the dead? A group of ladies. Jesus identifies with us all. I don't know where you're at tonight, whether it's here or online. I don't know where you're at. But you've got a God that loves you. And you can't sin past his grace. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul goes to great lengths to explain that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Aren't you glad of that? What do we learn from the searching woman? First of all, what we learn about Jesus is that he identifies with us all. Number two, Jesus values you as priceless. Verse number 8, either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which I had lost. 
We made a point this morning to say that one sheep, at least from our reckoning, would not be worth leaving 99 behind to find. And we extended that to ourselves. We don't enrich God not even a little bit. I read somewhere that they, they, they looked at the elements of which the human body is comprised, carbon and hydrogen and so forth, and they added it up. You know, 200 pounds worth of these elements were worth about 13 bucks, something like that. Now, we understand that we're worth far more than that, but as far as our elements, you know, you could buy this much carbon, this much hydrogen, this much whatever for about 13 bucks. Now, I'm sure that's gone up under inflation. So, you know, the president has helped you be worth more. So um, that's great. But when we say that sheep wasn't worth it, that's our estimation, isn't it? Looking from the outside in and, and trying to use a, a fairly reasonable business idea. No, one sheep? Are you kidding me? If you've got 100 sheep and you lose one, that's not, that's not bad. You're doing all right. Farmers will tell you, people that, people that work with sheep will tell you, you can, you can have a coyote come through or something like that, and they can just completely devastate your flock. If you lose one, you're doing okay. But that's not how the shepherd sees it. And, and, and in this story tonight, we would think that a silver coin, one coin, is it really worth the effort? Now, there's two possibilities here, and I confess to you, I don't know which it is. I wish I did because I could really put together a good sermon on one of them if I knew that's what it was. But I can't. And so I don't want to go there. It's possible that this coin was a drachma, which is one day's wages. Now, one day's wages, let's just, let's just say that's, you know, $100. Okay? Would you search your house for 100 bucks? I would. And if you wouldn't, then I need to get to know you. If 100 bucks is that disposable to you, then great. Hey, you know what I found? The richer people get, the wealthier people get, the more 100 bucks means to them. You know? I mean, anyway, that's a whole nother. I don't want to get into that. You lose 100 bucks. But I want you to understand what she did. The typical Jewish house of that day, if it had windows at all, they were very small. They were, they were stone or they were like an adobe kind of setup. The floors were either dirt or stone, but either way they were very dusty and they would often put straw on them to keep the dust down. So if you're losing a coin that's about as, it's smaller than a dime. If you're losing a coin smaller than a dime in that kind of a situation, that's going to be hard to find, especially if you've got straw on the floor. So here's what she had to do. She had to move all the furniture to one side, sweep up all the straw, sweep up all the dirt, sift through all that she swept up, look into every crack, look into every crevice, and then she had to move that furniture back to the other side and do it on the other side, and then she didn't have any lights, so she had to light a lamp, which means it got hot in there and everything. I mean, it was a long, involved process. Was it worth it? Well, if it was a day's wage, yeah, we'd say it was worth it, but what if it wasn't? What if this was one of ten coins that was hung on a strip that she would wear on her head? It was her dowry. It was what was given to her on her wedding day. And honestly, each individual coin probably wasn't worth that much monetarily. But it was worth a whole lot figuratively. Because those 10 coins, they referenced your marriage, but more than that, if you lost one of those coins, 
it labeled you as careless. And if you're careless enough to lose one of those coins, then there's a really good chance that you're that careless in your marriage too. This is how their minds thought. And so missing one or more of those coins could get you a really bad reputation in that society. Now all of a sudden we see that even something that's worth comparatively little was worth the effort. I am sure that Satan over the course of the last 6,000 years has looked at us and said, I just don't get why he went through all this trouble to redeem that. They're just not worth that much. Can I remind you that value is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. When I was a kid, I collected sports cards, mostly baseball, but I collected some basketball, and I collected some football. No hockey. I didn't know anything about hockey. I had in my collection, I actually still have it, A rookie card. You know what a rookie card is? That's the first card produced of an athlete. I had a rookie card of O.J. Simpson. Ooh. Yeah. And that trial was going on. And that, that card was worth a ton. Well, I didn't really, I didn't really think about it the way I should have. I should have sold that thing right then, right there. But instead, I said, no, I'm going to hold on to it. You know how much an O.J. Simpson rookie card's worth now? <laughs> it's not worth the postage to mail it to whoever buys it. It's a coaster is what it is. All right? Values change based on what somebody's willing to pay for something. There's going to come a day that paper money is going to be worthless. Now, I think in that day that we won't be here. Thank the Lord. But in the Antichrist economic system, you think, you think your dollar is going to do anything? No. Now, I'll tell you what's going to do something is a mark. They can take in your hand or your forehead. That's how you're going to trade. And also that is what gets judgment upon your life too. Value is determined by what somebody is willing to pay for something. The shepherd demonstrated the value of that sheep through injury, but the woman demonstrated the value of the coin by industry. She worked. She swept. She gathered straw. She employed a lamp. By the way, that lamp is where we get the connection to the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13 says, How be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. We call that illumination. And that's the connection to the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that connects us with Jesus. As Jesus was seeking us out, just like that woman is seeking out that small coin, that woman's using a lamp, what is Jesus using to get us? The Holy Ghost to draw us and to woo us to him. See? Whatever the monetary value 
this article was priceless to that woman. Do you have anything in your possession that really financially isn't worth that much, but it's priceless to you? We do. I do my best not to embarrass my kids. But it's such a good illustration of this. When Claire was little, when, when she was born, the day she was born, I went down to the hospital gift shop, you know, because I'm rich. Because, you know, hospital gift shops are a little expensive if you want to buy a $3 pack of gum. And on the day she was born, I went down to the gift shop, and there sat a little monkey. It it had a rattle in it, a little stuffed monkey with a rattle. And I brought that up to her, and she had absolutely no interest in it whatsoever as a newborn. (laughs) But over time, she got to where she would never go anywhere without that monkey. I paid probably 10 bucks for that monkey. Is it worth anything financially? No. We were back in Richmond visiting family, and she was probably two, something like that. And we get home, back to the house, and we get her out of the car, and that monkey was nowhere to be found. Now, she had not yet figured that out, but we knew it. And we knew the horror that would descend upon our family. (laughs) For the longest time, I looked for a monkey just like it, just to have as an extra in case we needed to make the switch. She would have known, but still. So Crystal takes, no, we weren't, where were we? Huh? At mom's? Yeah, we were. Okay, I remember that now. So we're out in the driveway tearing the car all to pieces. It's nowhere in that car, y'all. Nowhere. So she gets the baby inside, and I go back, and I retrace everywhere we'd been that night. Went back to the church parking lot, went to where we went out to eat afterwards, and everywhere. I'm riding down the boulevard in Colonial Heights looking out the window to see if there's a monkey laying in the street. Was that monkey worth anything? No, but was it priceless? Absolutely. Absolutely. I prayed over a stuffed monkey. God in heaven. I need this monkey back, Lord, and I don't know how you're going to do it. You know where it was? You know the Lord help me handles that are up in the top of your car? That all you ladies grab when your husband's driving a little crazy? He was wedged in that handle. Now, here's the thing, y'all. Claire couldn't reach that handle. You'll never convince me that God didn't stuff that monkey up in there because I asked him to. God doesn't do things like that. Oh, yes, he does. Now, what's my point? Something that most people would look at and say, buy another one. No, it's priceless. And can I tell you, there may be somebody out there that may look at you and think you're not worth too much either. But when the shepherd, when the 
God that that woman represents looks at you. You're priceless. How do we know? Because of what he was willing to pay for us. And there's some Christians, maybe even in here, that you've reached a place in your life that you think, you know what, I'm just, I'm just worthless. There's just no point in me keeping on trying to serve God. Don't you dare believe that lie of the devil. Because Jesus sees you as priceless. Something interesting. Look at verse 9. And when she had found it, she called her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I have lost. If this was a peace that was part of that wedding thing, it likely was not worth very much. It was not a drachma. It was not a, a, a full day's wage. It was less than that. And if it was one of those, she almost certainly spent more on the party to celebrate getting that than it was actually worth. Let that sink in for a second. (laughs) Can we be honest? Jesus has spent more on the party we got coming than we're worth too, hadn't he? (laughs) What's the lesson from this? The first lesson was whoever and wherever you are, Jesus may may not identify as you, but he will identify with you. The second lesson is your value is inestimable because of what Jesus paid for you. Number three, Jesus identifies with us all. He values us as priceless. Now, here's this one is profound, so go ahead and gear up. Open your mind as wide as it can go because I'm about to pour a ton into it. You ready? I'll give you a chance to get a pencil to write this down so you can consider it later. Jesus wants you. (laughs) Can I tell you from personal experience, there is few feelings in the world worse than to come to a realization that somebody you care about doesn't want you. Believe it or not, I've been through it a few times. I know that's hard to believe. Somebody as good-looking and charismatic as me, how could it possibly be that there's ever been anybody in the world that didn't want me? But it's happened a couple of times. And it hurts. It hurts. We candidated a church before we came here. And they in the most unceremonious way, reached out to me and just let me know, we don't want you. And this is what they told me, you're not old enough. Well, I can't do anything about that. At least tell me my preaching's no good. I didn't didn't even get to preach for them. They looked at my resume, called me and said, you're not who we're looking for. And that stung. They ended up hiring a pastor younger than me. Go figure. That made it sting a little bit worse. But as bad as that feels, let me tell you what's one of the greatest feelings in the world. To know that somebody who you care about wants you to. There came a point that it became apparent to me that my feelings for Crystal White were not one-sided. Yes! And I'm going to tell you, I was ready to go. Wow. Understand something, friend. Whatever you got going on in your life, 
however low you've sunk, however many mistakes you've made, how many times you've failed, does not change a simple truth. The almighty God of the universe, perfect in holiness, perfect in righteousness, altogether lovely, wants you. Again, remember, like we talked about this morning, we're not conquering God's reluctance. He wants us. Salvation and restoration is by God's initiative. Who thought it up? Who got it started? God did. And I know what we mean when we say, I found the Lord, but you didn't. He went looking for you. What did he say? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, we still have free will. We still have an obligation to respond. But it doesn't change the fact that Jesus wants you. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, he wants you. He died for you. But maybe you're here and you have trusted Christ and you've strayed. He still wants you. He wants you back. And the lesson here is this. The greatest joy for Jesus is for you to respond to his wanting you. (laughs) Twice now we've seen this truth. When the shepherd gets a sheep, when the woman gets her coin, there's rejoicing. Rejoicing. It says in the presence of the angels. It's not the angels. It's him. Angels don't really understand it. But the other saints in heaven do. And God does. Well, I just can't live up to it. I'm, I'm just going to walk away from it. Then you do it in spite of the fact that Jesus wants you. And you'll break his heart. But on the other side of it, you want to bring joy to the heart of God? Respond. He wants you. Well, here I am. Story of a woman looking for a lost coin. But what do we learn from her? Jesus identifies with us all. He values you as priceless. And he wants you. So what are you going to do about that? Are you going to live in those truths? Are you going to live in that he identifies with you? Are you going to live in the value that he sees in you? Are you going to live in the truth that he wants you?